0: Real quick story before we start. A couple months ago, I was down at Rainbow Comics in Lincoln recording an episode with Tim, and my daughter was with me, and she has special needs. While we were recording, Taylor took the time to give her some tips on drawing because she's an artist, and my daughter has some interest in that. She gave her some different techniques and referenced some YouTube videos that she could watch that would help her out in her skill. I thought this was great. Because as a father of a special needs child, sometimes people politely dismiss her and go on with their day. But no, Taylor took the time to work with her and converse with her and help her out. She didn't have to do that. So not only is Rainbow Comics a great store, but their employees have amazing character. So please check them out. They are a new sponsor of the show. I will put a link in the show notes to the Rainbow Comics here in Lincoln. So thank you to Rainbow Comics for sponsoring the show and for being really nice to my daughter. So on with the show. Let's dive right in and nerd it up with Randy. Hang on, folks. Today, we have an excellent guest from the past who's been on some shows before talking about some a new weird topic. We have Randy from the Grolix Podcast. If you want to introduce yourself real quick, Randy, and let people know where they can find you.
1: Hey, yeah. Thanks for having me again. I'm Randall Sylvie. You can find me on the Grawlix Podcast at Podcast.com. I also do the movie spin-off show of that, Grolix Cinematic Universe. Uh, check out com That's a podcast network that I run. And podedit.com. I do podcast editing services and things. That's all my promotion. Out of the way.
0: <laughs> he does it all, folks. <laughs> well, yeah, thanks, Randy. I always appreciate talking video games with you. I know you yeah. mentioned in the past, it's something even all the podcasts and things you do, it's something that you really don't get to dive into much. So I appreciate you being on the show, so you can kind of vent your video game nerdness,
1: yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, yeah, your show is the only place, the only podcast I get to talk video games on, and I know you don't do a <laughs> video game exclusive show, no, but it you know, I think we found it's it's a pretty fun topic for us to discuss. so yeah, a huge, I'm glad to be huge back.
0: world of video game stuff out yeah. there from especially from the past. So this one especially is gonna be we call it the weird video game accessories because, Kind of the backstory on this real quick, we were doing, I think, our previous episode, and we found out that, man, 70s and 80s and 90s, they had some just strange consoles and systems and accessories, and there were just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them out there. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm.
1: You know, yeah, we were talking, uh, was it last episode? Maybe it was. Yes, it, it was last episode. It, it's so funny because I think one of the ones that definitely got on us got us on this kick, I don't think made either of our lists, but like the uh, the Super Nintendo Super Scope 6, I yes. think that might have been one of the ones that kicked it off. And I, I didn't include it on my list. I should have. but uh, yeah, We should
0: have it for fun because we're like, oh, my gosh. But when you we look at the Super Scope 6 and then we start looking at – all the other accessories that oh, yeah. are out there's like man, that was just scratching the surface
1: it gets so much <laughs> wackier than that yeah because oh, yeah, the function was pretty straightforward it was just a weird casing a weird design but uh, uh dude in our list the function of these things are pretty strange <laughs>
0: Yeah, and the, speaking of our list, I not all of these did I own or even experience on. on I tried to pick at least one that I actually tactilely touched and used, but some of these I just saw on TV or maybe a friend had them and didn't really get to interact with them much. But just some of the research on these were just out of this world.
1: Yeah, same same with my picks. I owned none of these, but I've used all of them. I either new had friends that had them or um like in the case of the last one which we'll get to uh i rented it a lot so or i borrowed it from friends so yeah <laughs> you did that
0: a lot in the 90s
1: <laughs> yep.
0: so okay well let's dive right into the weirdness and my first pick is from nintendo the game boy camera and printer this one came out in 1998 In Japan and then it was released a little bit later into in America and was manufactured until 2002 so what this was is a little digital camera that you could slide in where the game packs the game cartridges went and it had a little ball on the top and had your little camera and it was only a 128 by 112 black and white digital image the quality on these were horrendous but you got to remember This is 1998. You know, cell phones were still very new, and digital cameras were still extremely Mm -hmm. new and expensive. So this was the first kind of foray that Nintendo went into this direction totally off the wall. I mean, this is a Game Boy system that you played video games on, and you turned it into a camera and printer.
1: This is super ahead of its time. And this will be a recurring thing, but this is super ahead of its time. Phone, Cell phones were pretty rare and still, and like you said, but... The idea of having a camera on your cell phone wasn't even, nobody thought about that. It wasn't until years later when cameras started showing up on cell phones. Like, so, and like you said, yeah, this has got to be one of the very earliest consumer digital cameras.
0: It was, and it was the smallest digital camera at that time. In fact, it stayed in that uh, number one slot for several years. Again, very innovative for Nintendo. And you can still get these. You can get a brand new, we'll get to the printer later, but a brand new printer online in box for $62. And you can get the camera for $25, new in box. So the prices haven't really changed a whole lot. Came in different colors. You could get blue, green, red, yellow, and clear purple. The clear purple was Japan only. And then, of course, being Nintendo, They had a gold edition for The Legend of Zelda, which gave you some different stamps. When you took a picture, it always had kind of the Game Boy logo at the top. You had another logo at the bottom. I can't remember exactly what they stamped it with. I think it might have been... Oh, I'm sorry. It was Nintendo at the top, Game Boy at the bottom, but the Zelda one had the Legend of Zelda logo and font kind of on the bottom, so Mm -hmm. it was a, a special edition that they had. But they had several different things you could do with the pictures, so you could point it towards you. Again, this is probably the first selfie, essentially, because it pointed towards you.
1: Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. It pointed at your face as you're looking at the screen. Definitely the first selfie camera. Oh yeah,
0: yeah, first selfie in all of its 128 pixel <laughs> black and white gloriousness. <laughs> anyway, it was 1998. You know, this was, this is fairly innovative. But anyway, you had different things you could push on the different buttons and different menu options you could push on the Game Boy. Like you could do a magic lens, which like today we do. What are those on Snapchat that they have? The,
1: the filters? Uh, uh,
0: filters, yeah. So you could do the same thing. You could take a picture of yourself and put these googly eyes over yourself. You could put a crown on your head and sunglasses on your face. Again, all these things, you kind of wonder if... Snapchat or some of these employees for these companies had one of these yes. when they were kids. And they're like, well, why don't we just put you know these sunglasses that people can put on their faces or a crown on their head? Uh, they may have gotten some of their ideas from this. Then they also had what I thought was kind of a cool thing. They had what's called a hotspot. So when you took a picture of something, you could designate a area in that picture that you could click on. And it would go to a... Another picture that you designate, kind of like a hyperlink that we have now on the internet.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: Yeah. So you could highlight a certain area say, well, if a person clicks on this, maybe this picture of your face, a person clicks on their right eye, it goes to a picture of a car. And you could line up different hotspots and people could click through that way, which I thought was kind of cool.
1: And so then you could basically... Oh, okay. I see it's listed in with, like, slideshow, So you could save that to your Game Boy or yes. to the cart?
0: Yes. So the, the Game Boy camera had its own memory that you could okay. save it to. And so that's where you would save these pictures at. You could also, though, transfer them to another Game Boy with the cable because it came with that cable that you could play multiplayer mm. games with. Mm-hmm. And so you could transfer it to other people's Game Boys. I'm not sure exactly where they stored them, if the other person had to have a Game Boy camera or not. I guess I don't, in my research, I don't recall that. Maybe maybe they did. But they also had some games, like they had DJ. So DJ, you would play the music, and then you would take a picture of your face, and it would go on the face of the DJ. So you were the, (laughs) air quote, DJ. There was also Space Fever was another one where these missiles, kind of like the game Space Invaders or Galaga, where the enemy ships are shooting down at you and you're trying to shoot back up top towards them. Well, the final boss would be whatever you took a picture of. So if you put your face on there, the the mother ship, so to speak, (laughs) the mother ship, so to speak, was this giant face of yourself shooting down at, at you and you're trying to blow him up, blow up the face. That was kind of a fun game, I thought had some other games too but those were kind of the main ones they had one called game and watch mr. game and Watch's head was replaced with the game face so you took the old game and watch game from the early 80s and all they did was you get to put your face on the game and watch body so to speak Mm -hmm. and then i talked about the printer so you could print these pictures out on this little tiny printer. It's basically the same printer that you would see at a grocery store. It's a thermal printer. So you had the roll of paper in there and it would just print out on it. But it had an adhesive in the back, so they were stickers. So you had your own custom stickers that you could make and hand them out at school. I saw Several videos and, and articles online where that's people would make these custom stamps and trade them around at school for different custom stamps and, and print out on this little tiny printer that connected to the Game Boy via that, that cable that, that it came with. We look at it and see how kind of bad it is, but there's people online that are still selling prints from their Game Boy camera for $29 really that was was amazing and somebody even printed 3d printed an adapter to go from a game boy camera to a normal nikon or canon lens and taking pictures that way too really so yeah there's a whole community out there of people that still run these things and i'll include the show notes some of the the pictures and you can kind of get an idea of what we're talking about here, but the quality is not all that good. But considering at the time, I think it was $29 for the Game Boy camera and I think 69 for the printer. I'm not 100% sure on that. And considering too that, if you had a digital camera back in 1998, you were probably paying, you know, two, three, four hundred dollars for it. Mm hmm in 1998 dollars anyway it was a fun little accessory i remember seeing the commercials for this on yep. tv back in the day and i kind of thought it was cheesy back then but you know hey
1: i i remember the ads and uh the magazine ads and the commercials and stuff and i was always like that's okay well, why 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 would i want to i didn't have a gay boy but i was like why would i want to do that <laughs> but uh yeah. Uh, It's because we didn't know. We didn't know how ahead of its time it was. Everybody's (laughs) doing it now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I can see the allure if you're 10, 11, 12 years old swapping stickers with your friends. I mean, that would have been kind of cool. I can see that. And also the fact that, again, it's the first digital camera. So you got, again, a 10-year-old has a digital camera. That's pretty cool.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: It was, again, ahead of its time, I think they – They were testing the waters on these things, and you have to remember, too, the Game Boy at that time was huge. You had, I think I saw they sold 30 to 35 million units of those things, so they were everywhere. Mm -hmm. So there was definitely, even if they sold 500,000 of them, that would still be a heck of a deal for them. Check out the Game Boy Color. Like I said, you can still go get one. So if you want one, you can try it out.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Cool. I want to shoot a so, video on it. I want to find the. How could we hack the camera so we could just capture it into a computer?
0: Okay. That'd be awesome. <laughs> one hundred twenty-eight by one
1: hundred twenty-two. <laughs> it's, so, it's a ridiculously tiny image now. Like the displays we have now, it'd be just the tiny. It would smaller than your normal thumbnail that you'd see online or something.
0: And they even had, I think, some artist used a picture from his Game Boy camera for his album cover. I don't remember the musical artist, but that was kind of their foray into that. But Awesome. Yeah. That's my first pick. The Game Boy Camera and Printer.
1: Alright, my first one, I'm going to go with the Sega Dreamcast VMU. The VMU, this was uh, released in 1998. a uh, stands for Visual Memory Unit. Visual Memory Unit in uh, Japan and Europe, it was referred to as the Visual Memory System. And so... It's like a memory card, but also a handheld device. It's both. <laughs> so unlike some of unlike my other weird picks, it's not like it's not an optional add-on. This is actually the official first party Sega memory card for the Dreamcast system. Introduced let's see, I already said ninety-eight, but introduced in July July thirtieth of ninety eight in Japan and later that year around the world and was discontinued along with the Dreamcast March thirtieth, two thousand one. Um, so what what makes this so weird to me and interesting is that in addition to being a, the official removable memory card for your for your save game files and stuff, which was a common thing at the time, like PS One had this, and but it was also a portable, tiny, handheld system. The Sega Dreamcast controllers had two slots built to the top, built into the top, so you could connect up to two VMUs per controller. Also, side note, you could connect up to four controllers to. A Dreamcast, so you could have potentially up to eight of these VMU memory cards plugged into your Dreamcast. Dreamcast, man, they just they went all out on that one. They did. <laughs> so many options. Most of them are not necessary, but there are so many options. So the VMU unit itself was just under two inches wide, just over two inches tall, and barely over half an inch. I think it was like 0.63 inches thick. It featured roughly a one-and-a-half-by-one-inch monochrome LCD screen, <laughs> so, so the pictures you took on your Game Boy, uh, yeah. Game Boy camera would probably look all right on this thing. It's probably it look great on this thing. <laughs> <laughs> and now this is late. Wow, this is '98 as well, huh? This is yeah, late '90s amazing. LCD, so it's not like modern high def LCD. <laughs> I even put in my notes: picture something like the original Game Boy screen, but smaller and lower resolution. Yes. <laughs> so, so picture something like the Game Boy camera screen. Okay. Yes, uh,
0: <laughs> that looks even worse. <laughs>
1: exactly. So when you use the memory card, when used as a memory card in the Dreamcast controller, it would slide down into the controller slot on top and an opening on the face of the Dreamcast controller allows you to see this, the VMU screen. I, if we ever, I'm not suggesting another episode, but if we ever did like just a weird controllers episode, I think the Dreamcast controller would go in, go in my pick list because it's, it's just that little opening. Like if you didn't have the uh, memory card in there, it's this ugly opening that goes down into the controller. You're like, what is what is this? Uh, anyway, most games would use the second screen to display, like, the game logo or something because it was tiny and pretty res- low resolution. But some games would actually display game-relevant information. Uh, Soul Calibur would display a little chibi version of the character you're fighting as. And games like Resident Evil 2, there was another one, I can't remember what it was, would show you your health and ammo status, which is actually kind of cool. So um, I think it was
0: Resident Evil 2 showed your health and ammo. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there was another game similar to that, to Resident Evil, at least in the control scheme, that did it as well. I can't remember what it was offhand. Um, The VMU also had tiny speakers in it, so some games could... Could use it to put the sound out through the controller, which reminds me a lot of of like the Wii controller. And uh, this got me thinking about you know, Sega being forward thinking, uh, and Nintendo. So the whole idea of a secondary screen in the controller that could also be used as a handheld device sounded a lot like the whole premise for Nintendo's Wii U. Less so the Switch, since you can't use the the screen if you're Got it docked or whatever, but the Wii U like totally. Of course, you know this
0: we're not. This wasn't touchscreen or anything like that, but um, but just that concept of having your big console system utilize that secondary screen. Exactly, exactly.
1: And then you could pull it out and
0: game on the go, game on the go. So, <laughs> so this was a separate device you had to buy, right, to play the game right i believe
1: now i could be wrong i'm not sure what came what came packed in with the system okay but i want to say since it's the official like first party memory card by sega if you got it with a system i'm guessing it came packed in but i could be wrong
0: it it makes sense and it doesn't sound like it was Terribly powerful, so it wouldn't drive up the price too much.
1: Yeah, and also, I'm, and this is like '98, so we're talking the period of like Tamagotchi little things, and it actually kind of reminds me of that, of those kind of little devices. And so, and this is, of course, the thing that makes it stick out to me is its handheld mode. So mm-hmm. the VMU, in addition to having the screen on it, when you pulled it out, um, you'd see was normally hidden by the controller face. You'd see it's got a tiny, cute little d-pad and buttons on it it had the d-pad sorry it had the d-pad a and b input buttons sleep and mode input input buttons and apparently a
0: reset button somewhere must have been on the side or something wow that yeah, looks just like you said a game boy or those way back in the 80s early 90s they had those little tiger little handheld games yeah, that you yeah. get. So I assume the resolution or gameplay is similar quality. Yeah, I don't have information
1: on the specific resolution. I was trying to find that. I'm sure the information's out there, but it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't very high and less so the tiger things, but more like the Tamagotchi and the other like similar type things. The display had that kind of thing. It was very pixely, very like, you know, since it was monochrome, just like black or gray square pixel art
0: that it would dis- could display. Yeah, very low, low resolution. Uh-huh. Held, let's see, the cards had 128 kilobytes of memory. Yeah. So I assume the game that's packed on the memory card couldn't be bigger than that, then I would assume.
1: No. And that was, that was, so there's major kind of complaints or flaws with it. And the number one being the space issue. Yeah. Because, so yeah. The memory card had 128 kilobytes of memory, and you had to share that. Had if you wanted to put a mini game on there, that's also the same space you needed for your save games. And apparently, different save games would use like more space than others. And of course, the mini games, which you would get through either um, you could get it from a like, it could be included on a game disc. Not all games did this, but some games would include extra mini games that you could download into this or install into this thing. Or, and I think this is more in Japan, you could also... There were downloadable games from the Dreamcast Online Connectivity. Oh. uh, Which, again, kind of ahead of its time. Apparently, like, most mini-games were large enough to where it would fill your card. And it's like, well, what do I do with my save games now?
0: Yeah, I gotta delete my Resident Evil save game that I'm almost to the end, or I can play (laughs) this... Oh, my gosh. Or I can play this little tiny tiny game just <laughs>
1: tiny simple little yeah and that's another thing like they were mini games they weren't even like game boy length featured big featured games they were just they were just mini games for the most part now sega did official did release larger memory cards the 4x memory card just shortly before the dreamcast was discontinued and it would kind of work like if if you're familiar with PlayStation One memory cards, where you'd have like multiple memory banks, that's what it was. It was basically four memory cards in one, and you had to hit a button to switch between each of the four memory banks. Okay. Problem is, the 4X was one of the memory cards that released without a screen. They'd release; they had a version of this that was just the memory card. Oh. So, like, if you wanted to play mini mini games, too bad, you're stuck with the smaller memory cards. Yep. But you have plenty of memory. Uh, the other major issue with this was the battery life. And it's basically, you know, if this was made nowadays, it would have what is, whatever, the the rechargeable lithium-ion battery, whatever, built in. Yep. It would probably charge through the controller port, and you'd be good. The, 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 that was, wasn't that common in 98. Um, oh, they
0: didn't do that?
1: No, it was ran on two CR2032 lithium batteries, basically watch batteries. And apparently, if it was plugged in, it'd be fine. But... It, if you, as you could imagine, wanted to play it on the go, apparently it sucked those batteries dry super quick, and you'd have to go through a lot of batteries, which would kind of get pricey. Like, you could you could recharge this thing.
0: So, yeah, why didn't they just use the power in the controller?
1: I really think it was just, like, the, the technology we have now in a lot of our, like, wireless controllers and, and you know, phones, like... I think yeah. it was just too pricey then to for you know, talking about keeping the price of these little these little units down, that's probably a way but cheaper option for them. You didn't have to have batteries in to use it as a memory card, it would still function. But yeah, obviously if you want it portable.
0: If you wanted a portable handheld, you had to have these pocketful little watch batteries in your in your backpack.
1: The other two little things i had to say is first off there was interesting multiplayer capability you could basically take two of these vmus you know um, on their own and connect them at the top and play against somebody else on the other one oh and okay. you could also use that function to like swap memory uh save games okay and then the other thing is what was it apparently you can you could play these VMU mini games still uh, there's a VMU emulator online and apparently a homebrew community that makes new games for the VMU uh which kind of blows my mind for that rabid fan base and i want to i want to give a recommendation to uh Especially if you've been enjoying these episodes that I've been appearing on, there's a YouTube channel I like quite a bit that has tons of awesome information, especially about the weird accessories, is like their bread and butter. But if you're not familiar with it, check out Stop Skeletons from Fighting. That's the YouTube channel name. Okay. Um, they have a great video on the VMU specifically, and that's where I got some of my information. But yeah, just a quick recommendation.
0: Awesome. So again, Sega was always. Pretty innovative in my opinion, especially in the nineties so I can something like this I think they were trying, but I think it just maybe missed the mark it's it's
1: got a lot of super cool features, and again, like the Dreamcast in general had a lot of kind of ahead of its time features like kind of too ahead of its time but this one always amused me because it's neat, but it's also like completely unnecessary, one hundred percent unnecessary, which makes me kind of appreciate sega more especially with the dreamcast because it's like man they didn't care they were just gonna they were just gonna give you something cool like yeah. they, they were actually trying to give you something cool with this little tamagotchi potentially tamagotchi toy memory card whatever like it, 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 why but why <laughs> just because it's neat i guess
0: <laughs> well they did this real quick uh they did something like this on the Sega master system. They had these little tiny mini games that would fit on these little credit card size cartridges that you would slide into the side of the Sega master system. And you could play these little mini games off that. So they think they've had kind of that secondary slot mini game idea for years, for whatever reason it's like, Hey, let's just give this little side option over here. So anyway, yeah, I like that again, they were trying. And this is probably, like you said, Wii U kind of, maybe borrowed that concept from them, a little bit, a little bit, yeah, for sure. So my next pick is the Terra Interactor, and this retailed back in 1994 for 89.99. What it was is a chest plate. You could wear it as a chest plate or as a backpack. And what it did is, is it took the sound from the console, the system. And use that sound and try to interpret it as, as impact. So, for example, if you captured a punch sound from Mortal Kombat 2, it would then vibrate on your chest as a punch to try to simulate the hitting and punching from games, but it used the sound, not any sort of necessary software because this worked on any system. So whether it was Super Nintendo, Genesis, Three D O, whatever was out there at that time, it would work with.
1: So strap a <laughs> strap a subwoofer to your chest.
0: <laughs> Essentially, yes. Yes. <laughs> and it, it plugged in. It weighed I think I saw five to six ounce. So it wasn't horribly heavy, but still it, people would complain about it getting hot. Mm -hmm. And they said after about five minutes, it would start getting a little bit warm. And this was at at the height of the 16-bit wars, because if you remember back in 1994, Nintendo, Sega vying for that number one spot. Mm -hmm. And so Aurora thought they'd cash in on this because they're a separate company. It was released September of 94. And it also was a little bit inconsistent because you had to adjust the device on each game based upon how, how sensitive you wanted it to hear those sounds. Mm-hmm. So you had to set it to try to hear less music and hear more gameplay action or to hear more music and less gameplay action. So it was a little bit quirky. But the best results from what I read online were on the Mortal Kombat 2. But I guess when they manually at the time they had an agreement with the manufacturer of Mortal Kombat to they would promote their the Aurora system in Mortal Kombat cartridges and then Aurora, Aurora said they would promote Mortal Kombat in their their system or their their chest their chest piece and have advertisements for Mortal Kombat too. so that's kind of how they They worked with each other. They worked
1: out a little cross promotion thing.
0: Yeah, cross promotion there is kind of what they did, but it did work really good. Most people that I read and saw online with Mortal Kombat 2 and seemed to work well. It they sold 400,000 units and received the Innovation '94 Design and Engineering Award from Electronics Industry Association. So what? I
1: I didn't know this thing was actually successful. Okay. Interesting.
0: It went from Aurora Systems is the company that made it. It went from pretty much this guy's mind to production in about a year. So it was a very quick, wow. quick turnaround time that they had. Also, Larry Schultz is the guy that actually invented it. He said Alex, his eight-year-old was playing Mario Brothers with his mom and him when he got the idea for this the Aurora system, this haptic suit, for, for lack of a better word. And so he got that. He was like, what well, would that be cool if you're playing Mario Brothers and you get hit by a turtle and you kind of feel it on your chest? You know, what would that be like? Let's see. I found you can get a new one on eBay for about $15 can be used with any of the new systems. I had a guy on a YouTube video hooked it up to one of the latest computer games on his laptop, and it was working with the laptop because since it only uses sound, there's really no software that you need. It's just trying to interpret the differentiation of a punch versus a slap versus a kick and try to filter out the music. It really doesn't matter as long as it has an audio port on your system It'll work. Interesting. Yeah. So I thought it was a kind of a cool little thing. Like I said, the the heat can be a problem. That's what a lot of people complained about. Oh. And then some, some games, if the music is maybe a little too loud, it tries to capture more of the music rather than the, the shots or the punches or the kicks. But uh, otherwise, they said it's not too bad. I thought I was going to go online and find out that it was horrible, but... There's online reviews on Amazon that people are still buying it and using it with the modern <laughs> VR systems. Really, like the like uh, what is the? Oh gosh, the one that Facebook Oculus Rift. So some people are buying the Oculus Rift and buying this extra accessory and getting a little bit of more immersive system. Like the like they said, the haptic suit is. This is basically the first haptic suit.
1: I love that people are still using it. Interesting. Yeah, people are still buying it. I'm the, shocked. The sound thing is clever. It makes sense, especially if you think about, like, fighting games and stuff back in the day, or anytime, like, there's a big impact, you expect in a game it, they're going to program a loud sound. It's a clever workaround for basically a universal uh, vibrate—what is it? What would you call it? Yeah, haptic feedback system. Yeah. I could yeah. definitely see it not working great for some games because games aren't necessarily— The sound design, especially, you know, talking 16-bit eras, they're not necessarily thinking, like, what's realistic or what's going to be loud to trigger this person's vest they've got strapped onto them. So, but that's super cool. And
0: you could turn up the how strong you want the vibrations to Uh be and one guy on there, he turned it up to five, and he's like, oh, my gosh, this thing is crazy. And he's like, this is only a five. I can't imagine. And even on the instructions, it says to start out at 10 and then turn it down to the comfortable level. He's like, I can't imagine what this would feel like at a a 10, (laughs) like (laughs) vibrate your spine out of your body or something. Anyway, it was kind of a a weird. I remember seeing the TV advertisements, this, when I was a kid, and I think I saw it in a, a game magazine again uh, during the 16-bit era in the early 90s man they were they were throwing things right and left between even just game systems you had multiple game systems and they had all sorts of things like like this and i know your pick that you're picking next is was kind of in that in that vein as well
1: yeah i mean this is one that i think you know myself included kind of link with the one i'm about to talk about because there it's around the same time period and like it's especially the advertising, it's like extreme. And it's just this this per- time period of like, I guess it was kind of the big the first big VR craze before we really had the technology to make good on it. And so, yeah, it's all about being in the game. And all the ads, this is the early to mid 90s, of course, so all the ads were extreme and it was kids kicking and punching and getting knocked about like, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, it was just a, a weird time because they were just trying to get a little more life out of these mm-hmm. 16-bit systems and trying to, to, to capitalize on gaining their attention because you had... Nintendo and Sega just battling for that number one spot. If you've ever read the book called Console Wars, they go into great detail about Nintendo and Sega trying to buy, buy for that number one spot. And this just, this and some of our other picks just fit right in mm-hmm. with that whole timeline of, of trying to capture the market.
1: After you strap the interactor to your chest and you could feel those punches, you're, you're going to want to deal out your own punches. So you need to go pick up the Sega Activator.
0: i just bought a bunch of this stuff for you i'm not buying you any more stuff you can hear your mom and dad what more stuff do you need
1: (laughs) the interactor retailed for 90 bucks whoa okay well if your parents had an extra 80 bucks to throw at more useless plastic stuff to plug into (laughs) your game oh my gosh I've seen, I watched a YouTube, uh, sorry to sidetrack, I watched a YouTube video, I was hoping for more of a review, it wasn't that great. Um, There's the Angry Game, a video game nerd video on like this activator and the interactor and it was just basically a goofy slapstick video. The plugins on the interactor, it, I understand that it's because it's universal, but it was kind of insane because the plug-in. I I, I want to say the controller port plugged in through there and it'd plug into the controller port and then also plug into the, the power... It needed a power supply, and it would plug into the back. It's like 3 plugins into your Genesis for that thing to work? Yes. <laughs> what? It was insane. The amount of cords were crazy, yeah. And then if you wanted to plug in the activator in addition to that, you need another power supply. <laughs> wow, okay. You got cords everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then you put in your 32X and your Sega CD, and you it's just a yes. it monster machine.
0: Then if you're trying to move the activator, your your mom's going to find you on the floor all tangled up in cables. <laughs> and what were, you, what were you doing? I was just trying to play Mortal Kombat. The vest is just going...
1: Bah, bah. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you jumpstart your heart with that uh, interactor.
1: <laughs> so, yes, the activator. If you're unfamiliar, it's, it was a full-body motion-based controller for the Sega Genesis or Mega Drive if you're... Not in uh, North America. It required its own power supply. It was released in 93 for $80, as I already said. And, oh God, I'm surprised that, I guess, with the Interactor, it kind of makes sense. But, like, $80 for an accessory, even then, or e- even now, I think, is kind of yeah. pricey, let alone in 93.
0: Yeah, it would be like 160 now, probably. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, okay, so what this was, it was an octagon-shaped plastic <laughs> ring that sat on the floor. Now, each of the eight sections or sides of the ring, because it would basically, it was just like eight long pieces that would snap together to make this octagon shape, had a sensor in the middle that shot an infrared beam up upwards towards the ceiling. So the player would stand in the middle of the ring when they moved a hand or a foot over one of the sensors, breaking the infrared beam, it would register as a button press. The basics of how it works. And I... You know, I was writing up my notes, and I was like, you know, the tech still kind of sounds cool to me. Yes. But the problem is I've I've used one, and I've I've seen videos of people using it, and, like, the, the way it actually works, it's not cool. <laughs> um, it's not just like the commercial? <laughs> no. Oh, God, that's a that's a big problem. I'll get that. I'll, I'll, that's a okay. big problem there. Okay. Uh, the Activator was developed for Sega by a company called Interactive Light, and it was based on a musical instrument called the Light Harp. Now, if you want to... Re- like, if you remember to include this link in the show notes, go for it. Because I found a video on YouTube from Sega's CES 1993 booth of the light harps inventor playing the instrument. He's a musician and a martial artist, which kind of makes sense if you see how he's playing this light harp. Also makes sense the way they marketed this thing. But uh, you would think, you know, hey, a musician and a martial artist made a device that lets him play an instrument like a martial artist. you think that'd be pretty cool. It wasn't.
0: so you had to put this together the way it looks so you had eight pieces Mm -hmm. and they kind of snapped together it looks like
1: yeah exactly okay now this was now to get to like the big issue this was heavily promoted for playing fighting games which makes sense you know kick punch yeah and it had a special configuration had like configurations and how the basically the buttons were mapped for I think just three games Eternal Champions Mortal Kombat 3 and Greatest Heavyweights okay now I remember I I do remember the ads the the magazine ads and the commercials for this and I it in my mind I was like man that looks so awesome I was a little jealous I didn't have a Genesis but one of my cousins got got this so I was able to use it
0: Oh okay got he got this this uh, accessory
1: Yeah he had <laughs> oh, okay. he had the like so I've used one And again I remember watching the commercials be like, wow, that looks awesome. And then actually using it, I'm like, this is, this just doesn't work because the the commercial showed kids doing like punches and kicks and martial arts moves. So it seemed like it would, you know, and more importantly, they're doing these kicks and stuff and the commercial made it look like, then that's what your player's doing in the game. But that's not really the way it worked because the it was kind of awkward. My note is first off, those commercials were straight up lies and they were <laughs> they were straight up lies. So each sensor was mapped to a button and from the info I could find online it seemed like maybe the default setup was was this. So the sensor in front of you was up, behind you was down, left was left, right was right of course. The sensor diagonally to your left and front because remember this is like an octagon shaped was the C button, right in front was the B button and then the the rear left and the rear right sensors were both a but only but you had to trigger one at a time to register an a a button press basically there's two sensors mapped to a and you just had to hit one to trigger a because if you hit both of them. That's was your start button for some reason.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, like a okay. Weird... So they're just doing the Genesis pad on the Genesis game pad on it. Okay,
1: exactly. It's mapped one to one to the buttons. <clears throat> okay. Now the problem is like if you... think about that, then like controlling a controller because that's what you're doing. You're not doing kicks punches. You're controlling a controller with your body, which, you know, whatever. It's, it's of course that's what it is. The problem is, like, if you think about how fighting games actually work, it's so awkward and it doesn't really make sense. Like, how do you do a crouch punch or a jump kick or this combos or a special move? Like, yeah, I can't fathom how you would you, you like Street Fighter. How do you do a fight like a Hadouken? Like, how do you do that? How do you do down, down, forward,
0: forward? I guess you, you move your foot back for down and then throw your arm
1: out for for. Oh, I guess. Could you? Would it register too? then at the same time if you like did foot back and then kick your foot back and throw your right hand out and then throw your right hand out and then throw your left hand forward diagonally to the side a little? Would that do it?
0: (laughs) It's it's like the hokey pokey. You put your left foot in, you put your left foot
1: And so that's not fighting. (laughs) I, I love the idea. I want to see somebody like approach a fight as if they were inside of the
0: uh, <laughs> the I'm activator. Not. It sounds like Sega. You got some splaining to do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, here's the problem, though. Again, kind of ahead of its time. Too yeah. ahead of its time to know what it's good for. Yes. If they, if if timing games and like uh, music, like dance. Think about Dance Dance Revolution. Something like that. This is. At least 10, 15 years before – at least 10 years before any of that was, like, yes. really a, a trend or anything. But, yep. like, this – that that kind of setup would be a perfect for something like that. But for the fighting game – and, I, you know, that's what was popular at the time. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Because,
0: uh, you, like you were saying, you have to have at least one leg to stand on. So the most you could ever push – air quotes here – are three buttons. And that includes your direction pad. That's the most you could do.
1: And, like, especially with fighting games, the problem is, like, they're not designed that way. They're not designed—it's not a one-to-one—when you you play Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter, you don't—I'm going to push a punch and then push a kick and then push a punch and then maybe move to the left. You're doing all those things, like— Snap, 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 snap. Yeah. It's, it's, you're, you're, you're doing semi circles on the D pad. You're jumping, crouching, doing this. You're hitting multiple buttons to do different attacks. And another thing is like on the Genesis, we've talked about this briefly, especially with fighting games, you kind of needed the six button controller because most yes. of those games were arcade ports that needed more than the three Sega face buttons. And this is a three button controller essentially. Yeah. So, you're limiting yourself there. I mean, I don't would, know how what else you could do to bring in more no, buttons, but...
0: No, I don't... I don't know that you could. Like you said, this would work fine for simple games like maybe Double Dragon, where you're just punch, kick, jump, Yeah, I guess. Y- yeah. Early, we're talking earlier, you know, late 80s games, but for, for a game like Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat 3, there's no way.
1: No, no, yeah. <laughs> now, apparently... And this is also something like watching that that video, YouTube video I mentioned of like the the demonstration. I'm a musician as well, and I'm watching. I'm like, he's hitting more than eight notes in the song because it's basically him doing a song. He's just he's demoing the light harp. He's not playing an activator. Watching the video, I'm like, oh, that thing's got way more sensors, so it's picking up more inputs. And Sega later used an updated version of the Activator just a few years later an arcade game called Dragon Ball Z VR VS, which apparently was pretty popular and it oh. actually supposedly from what I've read worked pretty well because it had more sensors the other issue is the infrared sensors themselves it was a little jank because if you had like a ceiling fan or vaulted ceilings anything that wasn't your standard flat level you know parallel ceiling it had a lot of trouble dealing with it like it would reflections and different stuff would break the beams so it was just yeah it was a little I mean 80 bucks is expensive but I imagine you know cutting it down to just the eight basic sensors like they had to cut corners and oh yeah this, this was, is definitely version one <laughs> this this was a failure like I've never found <laughs> anywhere or anyone that said this worked well and that they liked it it was not a good device <laughs>
0: it sounds like in their Dragon Ball Z version, they kind of worked a few of the bugs out, but you're right. They had to keep this at a low price point, but then at the same time, you guys just released a a piece of junk, which doesn't help your brand any. And, you know, this was in 93, again, at the height of the the console wars, you, you couldn't have too many of these blunders before it started affecting your bottom line. And there were so many.
1: (laughs) There were so many. Yeah, and this is, again, this is like a weird trend with my picks is these are all first-party, like, because when you propose this idea of this episode, I'm like, oh, there's so many weird, like, third-party accessories and stuff. And then when I actually put my list together, I'm like, these are all first-party devices. (laughs) These are all the, like, actual console makers blunders. (laughs)
0: Yes, yes, yeah, this is Sega. This is released release for their Genesis. Yep. And But, I, again, kind of back to it, though, at the same time, on a positive note, they were trying some new stuff. Yeah. And if it would have worked, you know, it would have been a game changer maybe. It, again, ahead of its time, but maybe too ahead of its time. It says, I think it was on the Xbox they had the, the, the camera, which yeah. would pick up, and it was kind of wonky, too, but, you know, this is – Obviously, a very early and use totally different technology.
1: It's so funny, but it, but we're basically talking about the same thing, because the Kinect, it's way the way more advanced, but it, and was wonky, but definitely worked a bit better. Everybody still hates that thing. I just I just don't know. Like I mean, maybe they'll figure it out someday. Full body motion control of games, such a hard thing to nail and to get
0: people on board with, even if they kind of nail it. They tried. Yep. <laughs> I think that's going to be kind of the the theme of this episode. They tried. Good idea. <laughs> Next pick I've got is the Nintendo Power Pad. Oh, yeah. So this is kind of a, similar to your pick, Randy. Uh, this mat fits on the floor, and essentially it just has buttons on there. There was two... That, okay, I should preface. This came out in 1986. This was produced by Bandai, so not by Nintendo itself but that's what it was was for. Oh, interesting. And it had two sides to it, which I kind of forgot. So on side A, you had let's see, two, you had eight buttons. So basically your two, your feet would fit in the two middle and then you had two at top, two at the bottom and then one on each side. And then on side B, you had 12 buttons and that was for two-player-type games that you had and mm-hmm. some other games, too. The European version looked a little different. It was called The Family Fitness in Europe. Again, it was released in 86 in Japan, but then 88 in the United States. Came with some games. It came with world-class track meet, so essentially you would run on these these buttons on the pad like you were running. Yeah, yeah. So The faster you move your feet, the faster your little runner would run, and you would jump over hurdles, and you would do the, the long jump and other track meet type events, and you'd plug this into your controller, your controller port. Like I said, the side A had eight buttons, side B had 12 buttons. They also did a an aerobics game, which you said, mentioned earlier, was basically DDR, mm-hmm. so Dance Dance Revolution. That's essentially what you were, you were doing. So they had that type of game where you did aerobics. They had five games that were released here in the United States. So Athletic World, which again, was like a track meet type game. You did rafting though, you went on hop a log. So you had to hop on these little logs. So you had to jump and go across those. Dance aerobics, which I just alluded to. You had this lady in the 80s cliche, leg warmers and the pink tights (laughs) Follow her movements. You had short order, which I thought was kind of a different game. You had to make these hamburgers. So it would say, okay, step on buttons one and four, and that would drop down a pickle. Okay, then step on buttons two and eight, and that would drop down lettuce. And so you had to put the order... Of the hamburger in the same order that the the chef wanted it, and then you had another game called Explode in which you had to step on these bombs before they exploded underneath the chicken. So you had to jump around on the pad, on the twelve button pad, based upon where the chicken was at. You also had Super Team games again, another collection of different type of running type jumping games. So you had to do the crab walk, stadium events, and world class track meet. So this is the one. And you've probably seen this before the most common power pad game is also one of the rarest games it's called world-class track meet it was bundled with the NES and the power pad on a combined super mario duck hunt cartridge but before the deal was made bandai released the game as stadium events along with a fun family fitness pad but only to a few woolworth stores and only for a short period of time so the game has this game that was only released in Woolworths for a short period of time is selling for five to $25,000 wow. for this cartridge, which is insane. Wow, yeah. <laughs> you have a world-class track meet game, or excuse me, family fun fitness game. That's an extremely rare cartridge that they have that has all three games on that one cartridge. Then they had another game called Street Cop, which you just go around this cop going around the street busting criminals and you had to bop them with your billy club. So you you run on the the pad and then you have to use your other foot to hit another pad to so you use your <laughs> billy club. You jump over trash cans and, and all sorts of stuff. I love you can that. Buy, buy this for $85 on eBay, brand new, if you want it. I didn't have this one, but a friend of my brothers had it and you know how you have sleepovers so mm-hmm. he brought it over and and stayed overnight he had the track game the one that came with it i think and and played it and so i played it it was it was fun it's something different so i didn't i didn't it looks you i mean you can see i have some of the pictures in the in the show notes that you can see i mean it's very 80s but it was it was a little slick so you had to kind of be careful yeah. you, you want to jump straight up and down you don't want to if you try to you lose your balance and kind of slide. You're going to land right on your butt. <laughs> yeah.
1: I remember it was, yeah, it's that kind of sp- vinyl plastic. This thing. I love this. Thing. I had a friend, uh, Charlie childhood friend. I wonder, I wonder, Charlie, are you still out there? But Charlie, uh, he had this. And so I loved playing this. It got pretty old, pretty quick. Uh, he had, I I always thought it was called track and field, but it must've been track meet or world-class yeah. track meet.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. Class track means probably what it was.
1: I remember you You start out, you play it, you're running, doing that thing. Inevitably, without fail, you'd end up just like crouched down on the ground using your fist to hit it as fast <laughs> yes. as you can. So it would register yes. running even quicker. But I imagine if you actually own this, like, I guess it's smart to market it as a fitness thing. But I'm kind of, I don't think I would fo- as fondly remember The U.S. Nintendo in the U.S. Rob the robots a little weird, but had some pretty smart marketing people because I wouldn't have remembered Family Fun Fitness, but I remember the Power
0: Pad. Yeah. So, uh, (laughs) yeah, I don't know this thing. I have fond memories of this. Well, the Wii had the balance board, so it's kind of based on this same type of concept. Like you said, it's a fun novelty thing, but it does wear thin fairly quickly.
1: And I want to say I also remember speaking of wearing thin quickly. I feel like the buttons or the little whatever sensors in them probably, I I remember them wearing out pretty easily. Oh, Because, you know, you got – and I could be wrong. Maybe this wasn't a common issue, but – you know it's a thing you've got kids stomping on stomping on so it's it's only yeah. going to last so long you're exactly right
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was a fun little thing you know it's it's got the red and the blue coloring just like Nintendo loves and it's designed to get kids off the couch and a little more active because i know that was a concern back in the in the late 80s kind of ahead of its time in that it
1: definitely like this kind of fitness based activity motion control type thing is something that nintendo really leaned into decades after this came out so uh yes interesting
0: it's all part of that immersion i think that's a Mm -hmm. lot of these accessories tried to do is get the player more immersed into the game
1: yeah yeah for sure my last pick i don't have a a ton to say about it i don't think this is a weird device but it's kind of interesting and i guess one of my favorites and that's the super nintendo mouse you know, whereas a lot of our picks, as we said, were immersion and stuff. Get in the game or, you know, whatever, control of your body or feel the feedback. This is like, you're on a computer now. Yes. <laughs> so, first released July 14th, 92 in Japan. And then in August of the same year in North America and December of 92 in Europe. Designed for Mario Paint. And this is what everybody's, you know, the mouse. This is what you associate it with because it was designed for that. I could be wrong on my price here, but. From what I could what it looked like on Wikipedia is that it retailed for twenty nine ninety-five, bundled with the game and a plastic mouse pad. If that's true. That's not a bad price for the game. No, 30 bucks. Like, why did I just rent this over and over again instead of actually buy it? (laughs) But uh, whatever. We talked about that last episode, I think. That was my thing. But, like, you could use this for more than just Mario Paint. After it was released, a bunch of games supported it. Mostly Japan-only games. And that's why I, I think, especially here, we don't think of it as being compatible with a lot of other stuff. But there were some notable ones that we did get that it was compatible with, uh, Arkanoid, Do-It-Again, which I'm not super familiar with, but I guess it was a very late system release. But you could also use it for T2, the arcade game, Wolfenstein 3D, Doom, and Lemmings 2. And I think those were the most interesting to me because those actually, like, yeah, I could see mouse support actually being super
0: useful there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because especially Doom and Wolfenstein, uh those were... For the PC, anyway.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: So you could be a console, a con-
1: what do they call it, a, a console, I don't know, pleb. console snob. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And still, still have your mouse controls because
0: it's just a, essentially a
1: two-button mouse, right? Yep. It is a two-button mouse, which is which is another thing that was that was interesting. I mean, obviously we don't have the scroll wheel, which is kind of a common thing anymore, but or is kind of a common thing now. But yeah, two-button mouse. Nintendo made a point after this was released to display a warning on games that it released that were incompatible. I'm guessing maybe they had complaints that people like, this doesn't work with Mario All-Stars. What did people think it was going to (laughs) do?
0: I know. (laughs) (laughs) I think Mario Paint, if I remember correctly, you could make little animations, make little cartoons. Oh,
1: And now we get to why I even added this to the list. I loved Mario Paint so much, and it so makes sense with like with who i am my personality but it was you know kind of like the base functionality is you know think ms paint yeah it was basically yeah. a paint program but you could also use it to make animations which was super cool you could use they had a stamp feature was which was essentially basically a just a pixel art editor and i remember playing with that a lot and then it also had the music editor and you know it was kind of cheesy sounds but it had like well, what do they call it
0: Musical oh, yeah, the st- a score or whatever. Or a, How am I, know I forgetting what, talk- what this is called? Where you put the treble and bass and all the notes on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. <laughs>
1: but it was essentially like a MIDI editor where you could create music. Man, I love this thing. I I made – I wish I hadn't recorded over it. But I had made a, like a short, a short animated thing video using this where I would basically set up a scene, set up animations. The animation was limited. You couldn't do like full screen – Frame by frame animation, but you could say, do a full screen, like, you know, art picture, you know, picture, whatever, color, draw it up, stamp it up, do whatever you do. And then, like, the animations would basically work in like, you could have little chunks so you can animate like a character in there or a part of the picture. And so I'd do that and make uh, like little animated shorts, record them out to the VCR, cut them that way. But uh, that's awesome.
0: You're not the only one, though. There's a lot of people that got their start animating mm-hmm. on the mario paint
1: that's i love that i love that too and i know you were more of a pc gamer but this this was cool because i didn't have a computer till like i don't know 2000 maybe uh 99 i didn't have a computer till way later so this was my my only like access to that kind of productive software i guess you could say the creative uh, uh creation software and so this was like yeah this is a great introduction to that kind of thing
0: very innovative i think in my opinion people kind of scoff at it but again a lot of people for example the guys that created Homestar Runner The animated online, I think it used Java originally, but cartoon, for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. They have, that's where all their characters and all their ideas got started was on Mario Paint. Oh, that's awesome. They even have some original footage created from Mario Paint with their original characters started on on that system. So again, you had these kids that had, you know, they sold millions of these Super Nintendo's is an easy way to start creating instead of consuming on a device for, like you said, 30 bucks.
1: I can't believe I didn't actually own this. I think I eventually borrowed this from someone and then I didn't steal it. Yeah. But I feel like <laughs> then they just never got it back
0: somehow. <laughs> uh, One of those deals. Yep, I've, I've had that. Yep. Yeah.
1: Like my favorite kind of games even now are games where maybe a little like if I'm looking to do, play a game, it's a little bit more gamey. This isn't like it's hard to call this a game. But there's still like I loved Minecraft or even like something like I've been playing a bit of Skyrim, but there's aspects of being able to create things in Skyrim, especially with mods. I'm a sucker for games where you get to create stuff and kind of be creative. And then also thinking about my music, um, Make how would I phrase that? Thinking about my per- penchant for making music. I don't know if that's the right yeah. phrasing. <laughs> um, like it makes sense that I was so into this there did have this did have like a game aspect it had that stupid little fly swatter game oh if you played the first super mario maker on what was it wii u there's a mini the the fly mini game is in that game like really occasionally (laughs) when you're making levels a super mario makes. there you go man like i'm a sucker for that too where you make levels but these gnats would fly in front fly out and if you actually God, they get so annoying. If you accidentally click on them, it'll take you to that fly swatter game, and that's straight out of Mario Paint. So that's awesome. There's a little bit of a game aspect. I kind of hated it. I'd play it a little bit if I was getting bored, but yeah, well, <laughs> it's yeah, so take stupid. a break
0: between making music or animation. Like yep. I'll just hit the fly for a while. This is awesome. We had six fun slash weird accessories that we experienced, or at least maybe watched from afar, but. There are so many. I know when we first got started, just like our other shows, there's you start trying to find the ones that you want to pick. And there's like, geez, there's so many of these.
1: Yeah, I almost threw this super fast honorable mention is they had little little controllers, uh, you know, like a regular Super Nintendo controller, but third party controller. Again, all my picks were first party, which is so weird. But third party controller where you could program sequences and specifically... I'd use that for fighting games, so you could program like the finishing moves in Mortal Kombat or combos. So basically, you'd you'd cue it up, hit the button, and then you just like hammer out the sequence, and it would save it to a button. So then all you had it's such a cheap then you all you had to do was hit that button, and it would play the sequence out for you. So uh, that's my honorable mention. I, I love that controller.
0: <laughs> like you said, those fighting games had so many combinations uh-huh. of, you know, back up, down, right, B. Then the uh, just, you t- to master those was almost impossible. So I don't. I don't fault you for getting one of those things.
1: Maybe that's how you make the activator work. You figure out how to get both controllers going. You move with your body, and then you have the controller in your hand that you have to hit the pre-programmed combos. That's how you do it. There you go. go. (laughs) Then you figure out how to tie a mouse into it, and you strap the activator or the the (laughs) interactor on. Interactor on your back. And then you take selfies while you're doing this with your Game Boy.
0: (laughs) Your Game Boy, yes. (laughs) Let's combine all these into one. (laughs) I'd like to see a picture of that. There probably is. I guarantee you, there's a guy that had the Activator and the Aurora Interactor together. I guarantee you, they did.
1: <laughs> there is the Angry Video Game. Nerd. I'm so t- t- kind of torn about that show because I, I, God, it's so it's bad, but kind of interesting if you're into like old school video game. The Angry Video Game Nerd has this thing where occasionally he'll strap on like the Power Glove, the Interactor. He'll just have <laughs> all the accessories he can find and make himself into this like. St- horrible video game accessory cyber cyborg thing so yeah people did it's out there you can see people yes. dressed up like that
0: let's do it <laughs> that'd be a good cosplay outfit <laughs> neither of us had the power glove no i looked at it but i was like nah, that's i had to narrow it down <laughs> it, was, I, it was tough
1: i think of all my picks the power glove i'd seen it but I don't know that I've ever used it. And that's kind of why I wasn't because I knew somebody who had it. And every time I was like, Whoa, the power glove, that's bad. Uh, Let's try that, and he's like, "No, nah, it sucks." So he'd never play it,
0: and you know that should probably tell you all you need to know about the Power Glove. <laughs> that I think that does. That was the consensus, I believe. So, well, thanks, Randy, and mm-hmm. I'll include all the links to our notes in the show notes at covertnerd.net, and then I'll also include a link to uh, com. I assume Randy is probably the easiest way for folks to get in touch with you.
1: Yeah, com. Yeah. Comics, TV, movies, you know, that's that's the stuff we talk about. And if you want to get a hold of, basically, we're on social media, on Facebook, Twitter. Just throw a Grawlix podcast in there and you'll find us.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Randy. We'll have to do this again and maybe hit some accessories or consoles. I don't know. We'll figure something out.
1: Awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having me again. These are always a pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening to the Covert Nerd podcast. I really appreciate the time that you give me. It means a lot that you take the time out of your day. To hear what I have to say. It was great talking to Randy and I hope you listen to his podcast over there at Grolix podcast and check it out. He has some fun episodes out there that you can dive into and hear what he has to say about all other things nerdy and movies and things like that. Go to covertnerd.net to get the show notes for this episode and you can also listen to past episodes. Again thanks for listening and until next time, nerd it up.